0: i
1: my friends, my warriors. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. I have the privilege of being with a wonderful woman who lost her daughter to fentanyl. Her name is Andy Lee. She lives in Florida with her husband, Rick. They've been together for over 22 years. And she has another sibling of her daughter, who's Mike, and he has his own family and children now as well. Her daughter, Amanda, which she endearingly calls Manda, is that correct?
0: Manda or Manna, yes, both.
1: And Uh she was 28 when she died of fentanyl poisoning, and that was on October 1st, 2020. She's the vice president of a wonderful organization, a nonprofit known as Fentanyl Awareness Coalition, And you can watch, you can go there to the internet, go on the internet and see her website, www.the-fac.org. And they also have a wonderful Facebook page, very active. And you can go and search on Facebook for groups there. I'm doing this podcast series called Fentanyl, excuse me, Death by Fentanyl. And there are over 110,000 people who have been killed by this drug just last year alone. That's about 300 people a day. And that is extraordinary when you think about it. More than all the men and women we lost in the Vietnam War. That only came to about 58,000. Not that that was not a tragedy in and of itself but that was over at least a 10 year period. And now we're losing to one illicit counterfeit drug, illegal drug that is coming up through the Mexican cartels through our Southern border, which is not protected enough and making its way into every nook and cranny of our country. There is now enough fentanyl in this country to kill every single person. It's horrific. And I am honored today to welcome Andy to tell us her story and have a lovely conversation about Amanda and how her life is moving forward now. So thank you so much, Andy. I'm so grateful that you're here with me today
0: thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. And anytime I get to speak, Amanda, speak about Amanda, it keeps her alive. And,
1: and I can't thank you enough. You're welcome. So we are both in Florida. Yes, ma'am. She lives on the Southwest coast and I live in central Florida. And we spoke a little bit before off camera about that. And so, um, Amanda though, um, where she was when she passed away, what, where was she? I forgot to ask you that.
0: Amanda at the time of her passing lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that is actually where she died.
1: Gotcha. So would you tell us about her growing up years? And her family life and, and that sort of thing. I'd like, yes,
0: to- I'd be honored to do that. Um, so when Amanda was born, she was almost 10 pounds and, um, and she was just the sweetest, most loving child. She always loved animals. Um, and, um, She was very shy when she was little. Uh, I can remember she um, was attending the school that I taught at and she was carrying her lunchroom tray. I think she must've been in first grade and dropped it. And for almost two weeks, I had to sit in my classroom with her and eat lunch because she was too embarrassed to go back into the cafeteria. (laughs) So (laughs) So she was very, very shy. Um, As she got older, Amanda grew into herself and had a group of wonderful friends in high school that still reach out to me almost daily, um, even though it's been three years since she passed and she graduated in 2010. So it's been 13 years since she graduated. And um, in high school, she was voted best hair. She always had to have crazy hair, either purple, Why? um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, that girl in her hair, and um, she was very smart. Um, Both my children, so much smarter than I am. Um, She was taking college classes as as a senior um, in high school, and she actually graduated with a full ride scholarship to UNM. Wow, Wow. that's great. Yeah, great. Ah. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> That's her dog, by the way. You can blame Duck. Uh,
1: <laughs> What's his name? Duck. Oh, yeah. That's so cute. And I think you mentioned she has two cats, too, that you take care of.
0: She does, Jasper and Jack. And it's funny
1: because every time I would talk
0: to her throughout the conversation, you hear her yelling, Duck duck and so now that I'm doing this podcast you might hear me yelling duck and I apologize for that
1: not at all not at all <laughs> he probably knows you're speaking about her and he wanted to chime in right I I think he definitely sees her um
0: around yes definitely
1: oh, that's so nice so can you tell us leading up to um her death how did this all come about
0: okay so, I knew that Manna smoked weed in high school, and honestly, I didn't consider it a gateway drug. I really didn't. I didn't. I didn't think it through, um, and um, that is a huge mistake that I made. But while I don't believe that's not what led her to harder drugs, it did put her in an environment and around people that made it more accessible when she did decide that was going to happen. So, um, so I knew about that in high school. And then when she graduated high school and moved to Albuquerque, my husband and I moved to Seattle. And she had wanted plastic surgery for a high school graduation present. When she came to Seattle, she had the procedure. And she stayed at home with me for about five days afterward, and then semester was starting at UNM, and she had to go back. She got back, and she had run out of her Oxy. She was given Oxy for an elective procedure, which is just insane. At the time, I didn't realize how insane it was. I just thought it was another pain pill. And um, she got back to U N M, and she ran out, and she was addicted. And so um, she uh, maxed out two credit cards with cash advances. And after she did that, heroin is what she turned to. She could, she was buying oxy at twenty five dollars a pill, and she couldn't afford it anymore. Wow. It was $25 a hit and you know you build up a tolerance to that so she needed more and more but she could slam heroin and stay high at first when she first started using for the whole day so um I had I I knew that there was a problem I came to Albuquerque unannounced my son drove up from California he actually drove her back where we put her In the first of many rehabs. And um, I stayed in New Mexico and closed out her life there and went back to Seattle. And um, after she got out of that first rehab, um, I made sure that she moved in with us. And that started an almost 15 year journey of Amanda, um, of a cycle of addiction, of Amanda going to therapy, going to rehab relapsing, it's, it's just a cycle for 15 years.
1: Oh my God. And so she was with you while she was going through all of this.
0: She was, I kept her with me. Um, and she would get clean. She'd come back from rehab. She'd get clean. And then, um, she would ultimately, she'd get a job. She'd be successful. Again, she was still living with us. And um, and then she would ultimately relapse. And then one of the rehab centers put her on Suboxone, and, which is an opioid blocker. It comes in a sublingual strip, but that is even more powerful than heroin. And although it's an opiate blocker, she very quickly became addicted to Suboxone and that just became... Another anchor around her neck that she was embarrassed of that she needed to take something to
1: function. Oh my God. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) No more dings. We have
0: have enough (laughs) dings. During
1: the Republican debate, for time. sure, I turned them off. I guess I didn't Sorry about <laughs> it. So as she was going through all these different roller coaster, really roller coaster of mm. being healthy, not being healthy, back and forth, that must have really been difficult on you and your family.
0: It destroyed her addiction destroyed our family. Um, at that time, um, my son, uh, was very mad at me and rightly so. Um, he was the good kid who a military hero went on two deployments was successful, bought his own place in Southern California. And, um, and I was trying to save my daughter's lives and, um, I left him in the wake Uh, while I was doing that and I also um, left my husband in the wake while I was doing that and focused everything on my daughter and trying to save her life and you're absolutely right my relationship with my son suffered and my relationship with my husband is still suffering to this day because of Amanda and her addiction and what it's done to
1: us It's really so sad how it clouds so much of so many years of a family's life when there's that, you know, the addiction involved.
0: Yeah, I call it like it's the like we lived in the insanity of Paige's addiction for 15 years because it just kind of takes over everything. Like, you know, it's all it's just it's life consuming.
1: Yes, definitely. And tell us about the day that she died. Okay.
0: Well, Amanda eventually moved back to New Mexico and got a job at the only brewery in the state of New Mexico, a wonderful organization. Um, and it. she loved it. She was happy. She actually got engaged to a really good guy. Um, he was dating her when she was in college, there
1: oh. and
0: yeah. And but he, when she started doing drugs, let her go, sure. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, he's a really good guy, firefighter, a uh, just his name's Justin, outstanding guy. And um, they got engaged, they got a house, they got ducked, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and she was doing really well, and then for whatever reason, she relapsed. And, um, you know, Justin, um, rightly so, left. Um, I don't blame him. And she had, she met another guy, a really bad guy named Travis at her job. And um, that was the beginning of the end. And, the, and so um, she had come to stay with us in, in Florida about three months before she died and I knew something was off. Um, I did not think she was actively using, but I could tell something was off. And so um, uh, it was not a good trip. She ended up taking my husband's truck and her best ball of scotch and being gone for three days, coming home the night before she was scheduled to leave and go back to Santa Fe. So I knew that something was wrong. And and actually she and I had had a long talk while she was here. And I told her that I thought that um, she was using again, and that if I ever realized that she was high, I would not have anything to do with her. I would, um, and she she also told me in that conversation that she was smarter than the pill, because in the end she was addicted to pure fentanyl, just smoking pure fentanyl. And so, um, I had what um, a grief counselor will tell you is anticipatory grief. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, I had it. Yep. I, I know, you know, the term. And so I guess I always lived with that anxiety in the back of my mind. And for some reason, Rick was home from work that morning that the call came. I don't know. I don't remember why, but he was. And he had his phone and I remember we were watching Fox drinking coffee and his phone rang and he looked down at his phone and he goes, it's Justin. And immediately I stood up, like immediately I knew, I stood up. And he answered the phone and I heard the words, she's dead. And all I know is I sc- screamed so loud that the neighbors thought I was being attacked and came over and that's the last thing I remember um I remember her memorial and um I'll have to tell you what I did at her memorial um where is she buried uh, where is she buried well she's not buried and I'll okay. tell you what I did so she's cremated, and um She had so many friends, literally hundreds and hundreds of friends. So what I did was uh, I had her ashes and we divided a part of them into little containers. Mm -hmm. And I asked that if anybody that wanted to take Manna home with them, they could take her. They could, if they would please spread her in their favorite place that they go or if they needed to keep her in their home with them, that they were welcome to do that. But I wanted everybody there to have a piece of manna because everybody loved her so much. That's how special she was. And then I got a tattoo. That's so nice. And, you know, people ask me how I thought of that. It had to be from her. It had to be. Honestly, the only memorial I've ever been to is my father's. Um, and I've been to one other funeral and that's it. And something inside of me made me do that. And um, and then I got a tattoo that says she's gone, but she's everywhere. And even to this day, people will send me a picture like on a hike in Colorado and say, I, I, I left Amanda's ashes here. So it's really, spe- it was really healing for me to do that.
1: Oh, that's lovely. That's so Thank lovely. You. I've never heard anybody do that. Me either.
0: I don't know I heard. I
1: heard of people using like jewelry, you know, like little pendants or whatever, you yes. know, to share. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, never I heard have. of like little small urns. That's so nice. Yeah. It's just something I felt
0: that she, it had to have been her telling me, you know, spread it, mom. So that's what I did. Oh. So then after that day, I really don't remember much. We—I
1: like, <laughs> don't mean to laugh, but it, we all know that that is so true. Up until today, I mean, the shock of it all, right? The shock of it all—you're kind of like in this big bubble. Yeah, and you're just trying to function. Yeah, I,
0: absolutely, a hundred percent. And I and I don't even remember flying to Santa Fe. Um. I remember her memorial, bits and pieces of it. Um, I don't remember the drive back from New Mexico to Florida. And I actually hallucinated along the way and saw things that weren't there. I had a complete mental breakdown for three months after she died. So,
1: yeah. And how how are you treated during that time? Did you have to go in the hospital? Did you stay home?
0: So this I credit my husband for. I begged him every day to have me committed, every single day. And at this time, we had an animal practice, and my husband, we were very busy, and he had to go to work all day. So that man would get up, he'd go to work, and when he would come home... He would make sure that I would eat. Um, He took care of me like that for three months. Mm -hmm. And then finally he said, Andrea, if you tell me one more time to have you committed, I'm going to do it. And he said, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. He said, you may never come out of it. And if you do, you're never going to come out of it the person that you were. Mm -hmm. And he said, So say it again, and I'm going to take you. And I never said it again. And I believe it was at that point that I really started to understand what was happening with me. And I started to become very slowly more active uh, in my own life.
1: Man, I can't even imagine what that was like to try to get through every day like that.
0: Luckily, I don't remember. I really don't remember it. I mean, I, I really don't. I I guess he would leave and I would be in bed and without the TV on or anything, and he would come home and I would still be laying in bed without the TV on or anything. And um, it's probably a good thing. I can't remember that.
1: Well, I not only do I give you credit for, you know, man (laughs) that's really tough Mm -hmm. it It really is to get through it but I give him credit too I mean he was there for you he stayed with you do you know what I mean oh a hundred percent there's a lot of men who won't do that
0: yeah yeah I mean I give him total credit for saving my life I really do wow you know it was, it was just difficult. It was during COVID and none of my family came to her memorial and I've never talked to them about it. Like I've never told them how bad it hurt me, but um, it was really a dark time for me um, when that happened and you have to find a way to get through it.
1: Yes, Definitely. Yeah, it takes an awful lot of strength, mm-hmm. and like you said, this was October of 2020 when we were right smack in the middle of it all. Nobody was going anywhere, you know. And
0: yeah, yeah it it was it was a horrible time. And I do think that uh, that that the lockdown in 2020 did contribute to my daughter's death, as far as her mental illness and being and being isolated. Mm-hmm. yeah you know, not for so long. I do believe that that was a big contributor to her relapsing and using um drugs again was the isolation,
1: yeah, yeah, I've heard that from other mothers too, who lost their children during during covid. You know they were That's... looking they were looking for an escape. and they looked for that escape through, you know, substances that were not good for them at all. Yeah. Absolutely. So as time moved on, what uh, brought you to become more active? Was it to help in your recovery?
0: I love that question. And it has multi, multi answers to it. Um, It kind of happened organically. A friend of mine from high school, whose daughter had a substance use problem, said hey have you heard about this group called lost voices of fentanyl and this was after my three months this was this was a while you know a while past that and i said no i haven't even thought about going on facebook honestly and i go on there and i see april babcock and i see what she's doing and i'm just blown away by her and um when I found out they were having the first rally, I knew a few people through Facebook, but I thought I'm going to this rally, and I went by myself, and I made a bunch of connections there, and that's where I met Ed Cavillis and uh, Michael Gray, and um, it just snowballed from there. You know, it's just been it's been great, and what made me do it at first, you're right, at first it was. To help me, I mean it helped me to help others. But now, like I'm okay. I still have my my days and my time. my times when I'm not. But for the most part, I'm okay. So what really helps me is I want to save the children. Like you know, so no other mother ever feels like this for my granddaughters and for your grandchildren and for everybody. At, Listen, our government isn't doing it. We angel moms have a responsibility, I feel like, to protect others from suffering the same faith that we have, because it's life changing, changes who you are, and it ruins families.
1: Absolutely. And just um, the educational part of it is so important, teaching kids that this isn't like years ago, where you could dabble in this or that, and you got sick and you woke up the next day and then you went to school and it was nothing. Uh, nowadays, no matter what somebody gives you, that is not a legal prescription from your doctor. <laughs> it could have anything in it, right? It
0: could. Oh, it could. When, when I got my daughter's uh, death certificate, it had four different illicit drugs on them. And one of them I'd never heard of and couldn't pronounce and had to look up. And it was another designer opiate that was not a natural substance that was made in a lab in a chemical. And I mean, I'm sorry, it made a chemical in the lab. And so I, it's just, it's it's awful.
1: And unfortunately um, there is no consistency with these pills. You know, so as we know, you could have a small amount of fentanyl in one pill, or you could have a complete fentanyl pill, hundred percent. And the kids who are picking these up and even the young ones, the youngest of them who, you know, it looks like a sweet tart, right? It looks like a little, you know, colorful, you know, candy. It does. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, let's try this. And they have no idea what's mm-hmm. in it. So when they create all these pills down in Mexico to be transported up through the cartels, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no like quality control.
0: <laughs> no. And it's not like there's chemists standing in the jungles in Mexico, <laughs> emptying, like emptying bottles of Xanax and crushing them up and then measuring fentanyl and mixing it in with the Xanax. No, what you're getting is pure fentanyl pressed to look like a Xanax bar and whether you get the fluff that they put in there, or the baby powder, or the, the laxatives, whatever they mix it with, whether you get that or whether you get the piece of the pill that has two grains of fentanyl in it, if you get that piece, you're dead. Right. And, and people do need to realize that.
1: Yes, I don't think enough people. And I guess, you know, to a certain degree all of this advocacy is to do that is to teach young people that the like I, I like to say the days of experimenting with drugs are over
0: oh yeah i mean you can uh, people also say you know one pill can kill that was at the beginning of our campaign but now it's one pill one line any illicit any illicit substance can kill yes we love to say kids love wanted love to love. get yeah. <laughs> hello baby it's um uh people uh people say kids want to get high not die and it's right when, when I was in high school I experimented I went to high school in the 80s I experimented but now if I did that I'd be dead yeah and It's not, you just can't do it anymore. So how do you make them believe that, that therein lies the problem?
1: Yes, I agree. And I think a lot of them feel cheated that they're living in a day and age. Mm -hmm. we can't do what we used to do. You know, those of us who did do those kinds of things, you know, we had the ability to wake up the next day. We never even thought twice that we wouldn't people. You know, there are professionals who do coke regularly and don't even think twice about it, but they're learning very quickly that their peers are dying, you know, 30 year olds who work for major corporations in New York City, you know, kind of thing. And the next day they're dead.
0: And what's really scary is, you know, it's already been used for a murder just wait until somebody decides to use it as a weapon of mass destruction because I guarantee you somebody's going to open up a bag in an air vent at some public event because yep. you know it's a, it's a misnomer when people say that you can touch fentanyl and absorb it through your skin you cannot and so um, a lot of these videos with the cops like touching it and then falling down Well, that first one that came out was proved to be a fraud video. Oh, wow. uh, mm -hmm, And you have to ingest it. And so that's why when you hear about, we have so many innocent victims now, a three-year-old, a a Kaylee, a 17-month-old. And the way that they're doing it is their parents have the fentanyl on their hands when they're mixing the bottle and it's getting in the formula.
1: I that felt, is what's that's craziness. I've also heard mothers putting it in their baby's formula because they're crying and they want them to stop crying. I saw that one too. Oh my god. And I also heard of a little toddler. Um, she the mother brought the baby over to the father's house, unbeknownst to her, that he was dealing. And there was it was on the table. So the child is moving and holding on to the table and you know, touches his mouth and the next thing you know, he's gone. It's, it's
0: yeah, oh. if that's the mother I'm thinking about, she's gonna speak at the Lost Voices of Fentanyl Rally. So um wow. I think I think that's who we're talking about, the same person. And so she'll be she'll be speaking. Important to hear that message.
1: Definitely, definitely. But just think about
0: that, just think about the days when when you Now, all the added things, if you have a youngster that you have to worry about, like, that would have never even crossed my mind, letting my kids go to their birth father's house. Never.
1: Right. And then I think there was a little boy who was in a park and stumbled upon some.
0: I read that, too. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: It's awful. I just, I mean, when I think of, like, um, Alexander Neville, 14! 14! I
0: know. I, you know what, I, Amy? I know. He didn't even have a chance to grow up. He's just yeah. a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's Rebecca who's lost two of her sons, or Val Miller who's lost two of her daughters. Like these women are some of the strongest women I know.
1: There's no doubt that that one incident, one whether it was long-term like what you dealt with with amanda or whether it was once like a 14 year old trying something yeah I've the, the result i'm sorry important. no that's okay the result unfortunately is the same
0: i've had that conversation with ed kabilis because his son died from taking one pill and um hmm? you know I've 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 asked him i said I've always felt like it was harder for you because I had anticipatory grief. I always felt like it was harder for you to walk in and find your son than it was for me to get the call about man. And he says just the opposite. He said, what you lived through for 15 years is awful. I can't imagine. I think it's harder on you. So it's really important with all these groups that we have. We all have empathy for one another and i guess to go back to your question about about why we do this we also do it to support each other and i had left that out of the answer because it takes only takes one angel mom or one angel dad to to connect with you who's been through the same thing and it it's incredible it's an incredible support group we have here
1: absolutely and i want to encourage all our, our listeners To go on those Facebook groups, be a part of the conversation, um, learn what other people have gone through before you so that you know what may be coming up ahead. You know how to deal with certain issues. You can um, not be surprised when your family wants you to be back to normal because they will be, you know.
0: (laughs) They'll be wondering
1: why this happy-go-lucky, wonderful person is now all morose and sad all the time and can't get out of bed. And they don't understand what this kind, this level of grief is. And so when you start to feel that way, if you are a bereaved parent, um, or sibling, let's not let, you know, they're going through their own grief too, um, you need to reach out to other people who know exactly what you're going through. And that's what these groups are for. Um, That's what these rallies are for so that you're in touch with other people who know what you're going through. And I want to just say a little bit about um, your son, Mike, because even though um, the two of you, you know, had issues together, um, we don't give enough credit to sibling grief okay, in our, when we're walking through this, because they try so hard to, you know, make it okay for you, you know, siblings, you know, they try to take on little bits of the deceased siblings identity, so that they are Mm -hmm. comforted, you know, so Mm -hmm. they're comforted, it could be anything from wearing their t shirt, you know, if Mm -hmm. it's, you know, if it's another girl, maybe putting her hair the way that Amanda had it, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so that they feel more connected and close to the person who died, using mm-hmm. their blanket or their stuffed animal to comfort them, <laughs> all kinds of things mm-hmm. like that. And sure. I just want to give credit to the siblings out there who don't get all the recognition that they should, right?
0: Oh my gosh, my son is amazing and and you're right. He does deserve credit and he's the one that stood in the background while Amanda got all the attention because as you know with with people that suffer with addiction, any attention is good attention whether it's negative or positive. And so he right. stayed back and watched and and um now he and I are good and on the best of terms and we've worked through it and I love him so much and I love his wife and my granddaughters and so that part is good but I still will never be the same person that I was just like you won't and just like none of us will none of us will
1: yeah it is it's a it's a really long and hard walk yeah,
0: I want to say something when you said about your level, you know, the level of grief because, and finding other people, because um, I lost my father in a horrific way. I lost him while he was sailing on a lake with my son, who was six at the time, and his body wasn't recovered for 14 days. And, and when I went through that, honestly, I thought that that was the worst thing that I would ever live through ever manna was a baby mikey was just fixing to go into first grade and it just it rocked my world um this after losing a child what happened with my daddy's death is nothing it is nothing and um this is so much harder and so much more intense and on such a different level it's hard to even verbalize the difference you know it it just doesn't compare. Yeah. But it only takes somebody like you or another angel mom to be able to say, I get that. I understand that because most people thank God they don't, they don't get it.
1: They may say really silly things along the way, right? Stupid things. <laughs> yeah. I tried to be a little nice.
0: I'm not (laughs) from Texas. I'm just gonna say it like it is. Yeah, some of them really good. I love
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. And and they, you know, they can really wound you. You know, they can really wound you. You're never gonna be the way you were before, no matter how much they want you to be. Mm -hmm. And we um, do our best to step away from that, you know, because we have to. If we're going to mentally survive and emotionally survive that hurt, we have to move ourselves away from those types of people, whether they're related to us or not. And I always say that, you know, everyone in our life comes into our life for a season. Some seasons are much longer than others, but I am grateful for the ones who are in my life now, especially David. And I feel Mm -hmm. that even if, you know, even if I were to try to reconcile with some people who hurt me so badly, it'll never be the same anyway. You're right. You know, so I don't even try to go there. You're right. Because they're not going to understand. They can't understand. And so you just, you let it be.
0: You have to, because you have to, you know what it is, I think, I think that, uh, all of us, Mary get, we set up boundaries after we lose a child. It's true. And and I know that my boundaries, like I had very few boundaries as far as like my husband went or my son, like I just was a mom and a wife just giving, 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 giving. And now I have boundaries. And if I don't want to do something or something is affecting me negatively, or I don't believe in it, I'll stand up and say, I'm not doing that. Or you can't talk to me like that. I have really strong boundaries and it's changed me in that way. But I think another aspect of grief that nobody talks about, and actually I was talking about it with my grief counselor who told me She had never thought about it that way because she's never experienced a child loss is in doing all of this, all of us parents in doing all of this and finding our new path and turning pain into purpose, as they like to say, you feel guilty. Because I'm happy. Like for the most part, I'm happy and I'm happy. I love doing what I do with back. I I love my friends. I love my life and I'm happy, but I found this new life because my daughter
1: died. That's a very good point.
0: So how do you wrap your, how do you wrap your head around that one?
1: No, I can, I can see that. That is difficult. I mean, when I was doing advocacy with parents of murdered children, I was happy. I was happy because I could comfort people who went through what I did, you know, what we went through. Um, I was happy lobbying for better crime victim laws. You know, I felt like I was making a difference out of such tragedy.
0: Mm -hmm. And And you have to get angry. You have to let anger get in a look, not to the point where it's, it's, Outrageous or out of control, right. but we all need to be really angry—angry angry about what happened to your daughter, angry about what happened to my daughter. We, where's the anger? Where's the anger from our government? Where's the outrage that they're killing three hundred of young Americans a day? I, I just think we all need to get angry about this.
1: I totally agree with you. Totally agree. Yeah. And it's only going to come from breed families advocacy. I mean, that's how we, we looked at it too. It's the only way. And until there's enough of an outcry about what's going on and it unfortunately touches somebody or a few somebodies that can't believe this occurred, and now all of a sudden, there's going to be tons of money and tons of time and tons of, you know, um, TV time or whatever because so and so, you know, went through this. Um, but then again, you have other people, other people, celebrities, grandsons who die, right? We haven't heard from any of them yet, and I don't know if we ever will.
0: Well, I can tell you one thing is uh in her and I can only really talk about me personally. Personally, when the Santa Fe police called to give me the death notice, they told me that my daughter was just another addict and actually hung up the phone on me. And um uh it's still hard. That's that's still that's still a really hard pill for me to swallow. Uh but Forgot, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. Okay, I apologize.
1: Quite all right.
0: Yeah, sorry. Great. In other name. words,
1: in other words, she wasn't famous enough. Where she didn't come. That's from, what
0: I was going to say.
1: Is yeah, that she didn't come from, come from come a different they, kind of family. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: how can they can find his grandson? The woman who sold his grandson the fentanyl. How can they can find her within 48 hours? But my daughter is viewed just another addict. And if you'll look, it'd be interesting to look at all of our groups and see the percentage of us parents who have gotten uh I don't want to say vindication but gotten uh maybe justice. that is the right word justice Justice. there you go for our children versus those of us who have not, i'd I'd be really interested to see the stats because, I bet it's low of the people who do get justice because every time somebody gets justice, it's highly celebrated. It's not like a regular occurrence.
1: Yes. At least that's how
0: I perceive it.
1: No, I agree with you. I mean, in, in the uh, murder space, um, Mm there is at the very lowest and the highest it's between 40 to 60% of homicides are unsolved. Oh, Okay, people don't know that people don't speak about it that way. But that's that's the truth. And if you don't find somebody within 24 to 48 hours, they're on to the next homicide, especially in a big city like Chicago or whatever. And if you have a situation where it's gang related and they just shoot up the whole street and babies are killed in their cribs and, you know, which happens more than you want to know. Um, police just chalk that up to, we're never going to find that person who actually pulled the trigger. Well, that doesn't help anybody with that attitude. You know, they don't want to go down that road because it's too difficult. And that angers me. Okay. And even if you can get into a courtroom, okay. It all stems on who is gonna testify? And if the people in the community are too afraid to testify, your case will never get anywhere. So now you've got an unsolved murder forever, even if you know who the person was who killed your kid.
0: You know, this is so fascinating that we've kind of taken off on this avenue because uh, when, when we went to Manners and we had to clean out her house, we found a bag full of liquid tar heroin already loaded up and you know the little butterflies that you put in that they put in when they're gonna give you an IV already loaded up so I called the sheriff's department they told me that they had no means for disposal of it Uh uh uh-huh and I said what are we supposed to do we're driving back in her car with her cats and her dog and we can't drive across the country with a bag of heroin and the police said not our problem we have no way to dispose of it so we drove down to the police station opened the lid on their outside trash can put it in their cash can put the lid on and drove away i mean uh, law. not every law i mean law is good law i mean Please let's refund the police. But there are some bad apples. And yes, um, you know, she died in Santa Fe where Alec Baldwin just had his murder charges dropped. You know, the guy that murdered Amanda, who dosed Amanda, uh, he still works at the company that she worked for. He had oh. the audacity to show up at her at her memorial. And my husband and one of my dear friends from high school named Robert uh, took off after him and um, he left. The audacity of these drug dealers, they don't care. They, they absolutely do not care. So it's up to us. And just like you said, as angel moms to make a difference, that's where it's going to come from.
1: Absolutely. We don't, we don't have a choice, you know, you just don't have a choice. And the worst part is when you don't have any kind of justice, you have to get to a place where you can live with that. And it's a very, it's a very, very difficult conversation that I've had with so many people, you know, whose children have been murdered. And, you know, I say to them, you're not going to like what I have to tell you, you know, it's the same way as when a district attorney will talk to me and say, I need you to help them realize we have to plea out this case and why, you know, Mm. because either there's not enough evidence or there's not enough witnesses or the witnesses are not credible. The conversation about, not having the justice you expect and deserve is horrific because it shoots you down. It just shoots you down to know that I'm not going to see the person who killed my, you know, my loved one have any kind of justice. And nobody's, Mm -hmm. nobody's doing their job strongly enough to get that to happen. And so if the family doesn't become, you know, just like all the families here, if the families don't do what needs, what is lacking at least as much as they possibly can do, there is no other recourse, which I think is horrific.
0: And I do have that regret because when I had my breakdown, like I didn't do anything. And had I had had I had my mind and my strength, um, I would have been on the phone with the Santa Fe uh, Sheriff's Office, or State Police, I'm sorry, every single day. But at that point in time, I didn't have the strength to do it. And I didn't have anybody in my family willing to fight or take up that battle. So um, it, it, it didn't happen. And because of that, Travis is still in the community, probably selling drugs and and still working for the brewery. And that for me, you're right. It's a really hard pill to swallow. So how do you, how do you wrap your head around that? Well, for me, I just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. I can't think about it.
1: No, because you know, down deep that you don't have any control over it right now. Now exactly. that's mean, but see the way I look at it is, yeah, it goes around, comes around. <laughs> yep, that's how that's how I deal with it. You know, yeah. it took yeah, a, so it, it took eighteen years just to get him arrested. Mm. We ruined our whole marriage life and all the the kids. Okay, but I just I figure there's gonna come a time where somebody's not going to be happy with him and you won't have to worry about it anymore because he won't be here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do agree with you. And I, you know, you got it at some point. I, I don't like saying the term, give it up to God because my personal belief is God gave me the strength, the intelligence and the spirit and the soul to deal with whatever is throwing at me myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as Travis goes, in order for my own sanity, and so I wasn't just eaten up with hatred, I did have to give that up to God and say, okay, you know what, there's nothing I can do about it. You'll deal with it. When you deal with it, you'll know when it's right. So
1: I'll I completely that's what agree I have with you. And, and it takes a lot of strength to surrender, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. To surrender oh, yeah. That's really what you're doing. You're mm-hmm. surrendering you know, to, to him and, you know, you're just take this over. I can't, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do. That's going to make this right.
0: That's exactly right. You got to have faith. You
1: got to have faith. And And that's what they say about God. The most important thing he loves is when you have faith. I love that. Yeah. I really do like that. (laughs) (laughs) So we have faith that, That guy who's still working at the brewery, well, his karma will turn around. It'll come around. I believe so. Yes, definitely. Because you can't be that evil. I believe you can't be that evil and it not come around to you.
0: And I can't let it make me bitter because if I become that bitter, angry mother of a dead child, then what good am I doing for myself but for anybody else either, nothing. So there is, you know, at some point, sometimes as hard as it is, you're right, you have to release the control and give it up.
1: Yeah, and and it is hard to not be bitter, to not be angry, to not be, um, you know, try to control every single aspect of something, you know? But there's a part, of every one of us who if we're going to get through something this horrific, we have to have peace. You know, we have to get to a place of peace within us where we're sitting and meditating and contemplating all about what happened and about our lives now. And I just feel like if we don't get to a place of peace, Will either become sick, you know, or because your body cannot live in an unpeaceful, you know state without it affecting. Oh, sure. you, you know, without it affecting you at some point. And I've seen so many, um, unfortunately, fathers who after their children were murdered, they died very quickly after either a heart attack or a stroke. And it was always very sudden. And mm-hmm. it was horrific because now the mother, okay, she lost her son or daughter, she lost her husband, and she's kind of left to, you know, run with this completely on her own. And it, and it just used to break my heart to see all these widows, you know, like, Six months later, eight months later. It's just terrible. So it you, really is. You have to take care of yourself. You have to find that peace so that you, you know, you can move forward and you don't have to feel guilty for the little happinesses. You That's don't.
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head right there, I think.
1: I've really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Me too. I feel like I have a new friend. And- <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that's wait- so nice of you. I do. I can't wait to meet you in person. And I would just say to anybody listening, you know, check out all the Facebook groups. Don't just go to the Fentanyl Awareness Coalition. Go to Lost Voices of Fentanyl. Go to the One Eleven Project. Go to. There are so many Facebook groups. That we support and um, would love to get a shout out to, and each one has its own nuance, right? Like, yep. like there's a group uh, for them we fight that does billboards, and there, uh, there's a group. Uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the name, of it, but they've developed a program for schools. Like every group has its different specialty and its nuances of where their board of directors wants to take wants them to to go. Right, And so, you know, if anybody is struggling, please, the more groups you can join, the more women and, and fathers you're going to connect with, and the more healing can take place. And I believe that with my whole heart.
1: And, and I totally agree with that. I think that it's wise to, you know, become more active, you know, it gives, it honors your child or your sibling you know, even your parent, it honors those who have died. And all the one thing I love is there's a lot of rallies in every single state, like Diane Urban's group. She, you know, she's got, chapters.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: She's got chapters around the country. And so look up uh, Diane Urban. I can't remember the name of her group, right? It's appalled. Oh, that's right. Okay. I am appalled. Mm-hmm. I am it's
0: just appalled. It's 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 okay. a a. I think it's a a p a l d appalled.
1: Yeah, that's and her group. I think um, no matter where you live, you should be able to find other people, other parents um, who are going through this right now, either at a rally or at some kind of group face to face. Um, and also, too, a lot of people are, an, are unaware that the DEA has a lovely exhibit with pictures of all these different individuals who have been killed and poisoned by fentanyl. And I was saying, <laughs> I was saying to Andy that, unfortunately, if we had 110,000 people who died only in one year they're going to have to build a museum for this because I don't think the walls of the DEA, you know, building are going to be enough.
0: And isn't that just one of the most tragic things you've ever said? I mean, yeah, we know how to combat the drug crisis. We know what has to be done. We know how to fix it. The fact that this is going on right now is outrageous and it's criminal and it's killing our
1: kids. And they all all happen to be around military age. Isn't that interesting? Of course. Of course.
0: China's killing 300 of them a day without ever having to lift a gun. And it's completely um, planned. And um, it's on purpose.
1: It's just so sad. (laughs) You're back.
0: Oh, okay. You blocked out for a little bit. Sorry.
1: No, we both did. Well, the one thing I want you to just talk briefly before we go is you have an analogy about the chocolate chip cookie, which I really love. Tell us about that.
0: Okay. So um, this analogy is used when you're discussing about harm reduction or about, about, uh, about Fentanyl test strips, but it's also a very good example of what happen, what can happen to your loved one should they take a pill. So there are times when you buy a chocolate chip cookie and you take a bite and you get no chocolate chips in that cookie. Well, then you take another bite and that bite is full of chocolate chips. Best bite you've ever had. Think of fentanyl pills as the same. They are not being mixed by chemists. They are not measuring out amounts of Percocet or Oxy or Xanax and then mixing fentanyl in it evenly. They are buying pill presses, which you can buy on Amazon, and they are pressing the precursors, fentanyl precursors, mixing them into other crap that that you put in your body when you ingest them. They're mixing those pills and they are distributing them. So you may what happens if you get a Xanax bar and you break that Xanax bar in half and you take half and your friend takes half well you feel great maybe you got the part that had no fentanyl in it but your friend got those 2 grams those 2 grams those two pieces of salt of fentanyl the size of size of salt and they're dead which is why fentanyl test strips don't work also because in order because fentanyl is not distributed evenly throughout that pill, in order to test the the drug supply, a drug user would have to destroy their entire supply. And having a daughter who suffered with a substance use disorder for 15 years, I guarantee you that my daughter never would have ruined her drug supply. And it's just common sense, no addict is. So mm-hmm. people really need to take a look at these pills that they're getting. They're not what you think they are. They're being delivered on Snapchat. They're it's just parents need to be aware, you know, that all, of all of this.
1: Totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm really glad we got together today and I thank you for all your wisdom. Thank you for talking about Amanda. And, you know, it was a hard road for you. And I give you credit for surviving and thriving again. And I look forward to meeting you and uh, to my listeners and video watchers viewers. uh, I want to thank you for being here today. Please subscribe, like, and share, leave a comment on what you thought of this, what you learned from this, but mostly please share this video because people need to know the seriousness, the deadliness of what's going on with the fentanyl crisis. So thank you again.
0: Thank you for giving me this opportunity, Mary.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm so glad to do it and I'll see you soon. See you in September. (laughs) (laughs) Bye now. Bye.